Good morning, Northbrook. This morning's sermon will be preached from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. If you're reading from the House Bible, it's on page 955 if you want to follow along. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping love, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. All right. Well, as always, it's good to be with you. Jake Ledette, one of the pastors here, and we're just continuing on in First Peter. So I was uh, listening to this interview this week between uh, Stephen Colbert and Bono, and uh, anybody else see it? Nope. Good. I like to be all alone sometimes. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I didn't know about Bono is he uh, actually lost his mom when he was 14. Many of you probably knew that, you're U2 fans, but I didn't know that at all. And uh, one of the things that he said from that is that that loss... Uh, actually is one of the things that kind of opened his heart to music and, and really helped music fill some of that void. And not just music, but obviously in his case, performing. Uh, he talked about it in particular that he, he needed the audience. Like that's one of the things that makes him a good performer, this from his words, from his justification, is that how much he actually needs the audience. And he, he mentioned not in like a sap, sappy way, but like a deep, guttural, I need to fill this longing kind of way. And, and that's one of the things that leads to his performance. And, and one of the things I was thinking about, just that and that, that kind of deep longing he has, um, and it's really obviously a relational one. Now that's between a performer uh, and an audience, but as I was thinking about this passage, uh, you know, obviously losing someone really signif- significant in our life, a, a, a brother, a sibling, a, a mom, or a dad, that, that leaves a, a unique kind of gap in our life. Uh, but, but one of the things, like we all should have something like that gap in our life. Some, like, there's actually a, a healthy ache there that I think the scriptures would encourage us towards. Like this relational ache and gap and longing that we're, we, we all should have to some degree. Uh, th- that we need healthy, substantive relationships in our life. Uh, we should desire those. Uh, some of you maybe minimize that longing. Maybe you, you have it and, and you just kind of, I mean, we all have it, God's made us with it. But some of you maybe you know, put it to the side or who knows, you've got, we all got stories and baggage or whatnot. Maybe some of you actually fill that gap immensely and maybe you even focus on it, and maybe you even, to some degree, uh, maybe overwhelm the relationships in your life trying to fill that gap. There's all kinds of different ways, but I really think what we'll see today is that we all should have that kind of longing uh, for relationships. Even if you were to think like the really Christian answer, which is a good answer, of like, 
if you're going to tell Bono, and obviously, as best we can tell, he loves Jesus and uh, professes Christ. And, but if you're going to tell him, hey, God's the only one that can fill that gap, uh, and, and that, that is true, that, that God has to be the one that fills that gap in our hearts. But you know what God brings with him? Is, is the church. Like, God doesn't come alone. <laughs> like, like, we think of God filling that gap, and it's just me and God, and that's not how God works. God comes with the totality of the church, and in particular cases, the local church, real people, real relationships, that, that he fills that gap, and he also brings others with him. Uh, and, and that's how God has uh, called us to live and live with one another, that we actually are dependent on God and dependent on one another. Uh, we, we spend much of our lives trying to strive for independence. When God has said, I have not made you independent, I've not made you that way at all. Uh, you are depend, to depend on me, and you are actually, you need other people uh, in your life. You're to depend on others well. And again, there's lots of ways that goes wrong, but we need to acknowledge and realize that there's a healthiness to that kind of relational ache and desire, and, and we should feel that, and we should desire that. Do you ache for those kinds of relationships? Man, that is going to be hard to navigate. I'm just staring at this, but it's okay. I'm, I'm going to be fine. Sorry. I get distracted, and... Scoot over here. Now we're good. Um, and so, uh, do you do you do you have that kind of relational uh, ache? Do you desire these kind of relationships, or are you someone that kind of minimizes them? Um, and sometimes we get. I, I feel like, to be honest with you, I confuse myself a little bit here because I feel very relational uh, and very open to relationships and enjoy relationships a lot. But also, I tend to feel like I minimize my need for them uh, as well. And so as we think about First Peter last week, he was talking about really engaging the culture through the lens of the cross, that we should be willing to embrace suffering, that we should turn from sin and proclaim the gospel. And this week, Peter points us to the importance of Christian friendship. Now, there's lots of different ways uh, we can say that, and maybe it's community, maybe it's uh, the church, but I think it's helpful just to think about friendship, because friendship is a, when, sometimes when we think about Christian community, we think of it in a, in a really kind of lacking power in, in a substance kind of way. But when, typically, when we think about friendship, we're thinking, okay, that's, that's a big deal. Uh, that's something that's more substantial in our life. And, uh, and Peter is going to talk to us about what these relationships should look like and how we should pursue them motivated by the, the fact that King Jesus is returning. That's the motivation that uh, Peter puts before us. You see that in verse 7. It says, the end of all things is at hand. And then it just says, therefore, and that therefore takes that from an observation uh, to a motivation. It's not just an observation, the end of all things is at hand. It's actually the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, everything I'm about to tell you should be motivated by that reality. And even if you think about at hand, it's just this new era that Jesus has ushered in. The, the Bible always wants us to feel this sense of urgency, and it's just an urgency that we struggle to feel. Uh, I was listening to, maybe I watch YouTube too much, I don't know, uh, but uh, I was listening to uh, an interview with uh, Tim Keller, and uh, he was, you know, he's a famous pastor in New York City, been retired for many years now, and he has stage four pancreatic cancer. Um, and he's actually, uh, I think, lived with it for about a, I mean, he's a very small percentage now. I lived with it for over a year now. Uh, and, um, but he was talking about how he would not, him and Kathy, his wife, would not trade the spiritual life they have now for the one they had pre-cancer. 
And, and he's just like, he was like, we all just don't think we're going to die. I mean, he's like 70 something years old, but he's like, before can you just don't think you're going to die. He's like, when you hear you're going to die, it just changes things. Um, and he's like, you know, he was like, I wish there was a way I could get that before cancer, but he's like, I don't know how to do it. And the Bible is constantly trying to get us there, trying to get us that, Hey, the end of all things is at hand. Uh, and and it's, again, it's not like, Oh, the apostles wrong. Like it's been 2000 years and it wasn't really at hand. It's like, no, it's just this new era where, you know, Jesus came and ushered in this new time where now we're just awaiting for him to return again. And so the end of all things is at hand. And there's this sense of urgency uh, that the scriptures are trying to get us to be motivated by. And in this particular sense, to be motivated in our relationships with this sense uh, of urgency. Um, and I, I think it's obviously an interesting way to say at the end of all things is at hand. That sounds ominous in a way. The end of all things sounds bad. It's like everything was here and now it's gone. Uh, but obviously all things are going to be made new. And Peter uses this simple phrase to really describe a, a glorious reality. When he says the end of all things, he's referring to this moment captured in the book of Revelation. Listen to this, Revelation 19, 11 through 16. So again, last week we focused on Jesus suffering on the cross. Here we see we're focusing on this uh, reality. Verse 11, then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of King, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. So Peter is, is calling us to look for, as the Christian, we should always be looking back to the cross and looking forward to the return of Jesus so that our, our decisions today would be impacted by those realities. The, the scriptures are always calling us to those things, to look back, to look forward as we interact with each other, ourselves, with God uh, today. Um, and so because the end of all things is at hand, He's going to tell us these four things that we should pursue as we interact in relationships. It's kind of these just four exhortations that he gives us in light of Jesus' return. We are to pray, we are to love, we are to welcome, and we are to serve. I mean, as I think about Northbrook, I think about uh, prayer and, and the many people that are gifted in prayer, the, the men that I've heard pray, the men that pray uh, for me. I think about the, even the people that pray from the stage and the way that like, Northbrook is a church of prayer. Uh, and that's such an encouraging uh, reality. Maybe you feel like prayer is something that comes really natural to you, or maybe something, prayer is something that's difficult uh, for you. Maybe as you uh, pray with people or pray with others, that's a, that's a hard thing for you. But, but Peter is going to encourage all of us to pray. Again, look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, 
Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Uh, obviously, uh, earlier in, in chapter 3, Peter talks to husbands and say, hey, live with your wife in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. And he's, now he's saying all of us, all of us that profess and follow Jesus, we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. And again, let's, even if you feel gifted in prayer, let's just be honest about prayer for a moment. Like it goes bad at times. Like, especially maybe you're praying in a group and you get kind of nervous and your thoughts get jumbled and you're like, Father, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And you're like, you don't even know, you just said something heretical. And you're like, you know, it just prayer can go bad in all kinds of uh, different ways. And, and it's uncomfortable and maybe you don't, maybe you struggle to pray uh, again with people out loud. Uh, maybe you struggle to pray even uh, when you're alone. We're kind of all uh, over the map there. Um, maybe we grew up in a church where we dreaded particular people praying because we knew they were going to like preach a whole nother sermon. Uh, I remember thinking like, oh, he just said in Jesus name. Oh, but now he's talking about Jesus and now oh, it triggered something else. I'm like, oh, not this guy again. Uh, and, uh, we just have, you know, prayer can, can be weird and can be awkward and can go all kinds of different directions. Um, and, and Peter's not saying that we should pray perfect prayers, but that we should be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. Even if we just think about those two things, self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 is a good picture of this. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Great picture. So no walls. People are just coming and going uh, at random. They're not clear entrances or exits. It's just chaotic. Um, so we've, even if we're thinking about the opposite of that, if self-control is like a city with clear walls, there's, there's order. There maybe is the same amount of activity, but it's just clear uh, activity. Um, people know where to go and know how to leave and know how to get in. There's protection. Um, if our lives and bodies are that city, do we have walls built up or not? Self-control, as we think about it, is just the ability to make decisions with your body that are good for you and not just follow any desire, not just follow any whim that crosses uh, your mind. I actually saw this tweet just this last week. It said, self-control is the ability to do what is most important, not just what is urgent. Like if we lack self-control, we'll always just be responding and reacting to what's before us and what feels most pressing. Self-control is actually to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm gonna, I need to focus on this, which is most important. Even if you would take the picture from Proverbs, if the city's walls are collapsed and they need to be rebuilt, that takes a lot of planning and a lot of hard work and a lot of time and a lot of self-control. And the reality is humanity struggles with self-control. Uh, we all struggle with self-control. You, you look at certain people and they're more disciplined and, and they just are, they, they have that. But to be honest with you, you saw their whole life, there is an area they struggle with self-control. You just maybe don't see it. Um, and we tend to, what, what we tend to do is compare our self-control. Like, man, they're self-controlled in this area. They must be awesome. Um, and we covet other people's self-control. But we all struggle with it, with it to some degree. I mean, obviously, if you can just look at our social media use or streaming or video game history, and we see this kind of struggle. It, this reminds me of one of the best tweets of all time by John Piper. It says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. I might add, not from lack of time, but lack of self-control. Now, when we read things like that, most of us respond to something like, I am the worst. Um, 
And first, I just want to agree with you. Um, I'm just joking. No, no. We, we do need to realize even with, like the Christian life is, is played on the playing field of there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That there's grace and mercy uh, available to all. And this just allows us to exhale and relax and be thankful that our salvation doesn't depend on our prayer life, but on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. None of us, as we get to heaven, are going to be walking around thinking, I got here because of my prayers. Um, we're we're going to, he does quote King's Kaleidoscope, we're going to be running on the streets of gold singing hallelujah, Christ alone. And this is what Peter's motivating us with. He's saying as we think of that day, as we think of those realities, that should inform how we pray even now. The more we dwell on it, the more we'll exercise self-control for the sake of our prayers. Self-controlled, these two words, self-controlled and sober-minded, are really almost synonyms, which is really instructive because, as we know, our, our thoughts and actions are different, but they're inseparable. Uh, they're, they're different things. Thinking something and doing something is different, uh, but, but you really can't separate them uh, either. Uh, even if you think of the sober-minded, obviously the opposite is to not have control of your mind at all. And, and as, as humanity, we have real weakness here. I don't know if you've ever been with somebody. I've, I've sat next to somebody going through a psychotic breakdown. So they're hallucinating. They've created a world that's a fantasy world that they believe is actually true. Um, and they, they just don't have control over their mind. Um, and I give that example just to say, if we have any ounce of sober-mindedness, it's a gift. It's something we probably take for granted, but it's a gift. Um, and it's something that should be stewarded for the sake of our prayers. Um, again, if, if, sober mind, if you know, the opposite of sober-minded is not having any control, or, or the, the picture the scriptures give is being, instead of being drunk on wine, being filled with the Spirit. So if sober-minded is having control of our mind and being able to uh, think well, how, how are we stewarding uh, that gift? What does that look like for us? I think even a practical example of this, I was, went on a walk the other day with Aaron Lamb. I think he's serving in kids right now. Uh, and he was just asking me, he's like, hey, do you notice a time in the day uh, when you, it's just better for you to write? Like it's just, and I've discovered that, that there's, there's clear times in the day where my sober-mindedness is at its best and other times where it's inaccessible. Um, and so, um, and, and God is saying that, that, that that's just a reality. And, and here's the thing, like, what if we, like, are there things you do? Are there times of the day where your, your thoughts are clear and at their best? Are there things you even do or eat or don't do that, that kind of affect your sober-mindedness in positive and negative directions? And here's kind of the earth-shattering reality that Peter is calling us to. It's like, what if we did those things for the sake of our prayers, like we, we prioritize our sober-mindedness and our self-control for lots of other things. To be honest with you, almost everything but prayer. And Peter is saying we should, we should steward those realities. Any uh, bit of self-control we have, any bit of clear-mindedness and sober-mindedness that we have for the sake of praying. Um, that's that's uh, instructive and uh, exposing. Um, and, and I think quite counterintuitive for, for most of us. And, and as Peter says prayers here, he's, he's using the, a plural word to, to represent all kinds of different prayers. How we pray when we're alone, how we pray when we're with good friends, how we pray when we're in our community group or in large crowds, planned, pre-written prayers, spontaneous prayers. 
These are all the kinds of prayers that we should consider. What does it look like to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of these prayers? And I think also, you know, what one of the things Peter's calling us to, like obviously there's going to be specific times in in his day and our day uh, where we come together in prayer, but also that we would just be a people of prayer wherever we are, uh, whatever we're doing. Um, And again, that's not alone with God on our knees praying at all times. That's not what prayer always looks like. That's just being people of prayer uh, wherever we go. And so I do want to lay before you just two opportunities literally for you to step into, to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. One, we did the first uh, pre-service prayer this morning. And so at 9.30, I don't know, there's a handful, 15, 20 of us, volunteers and people that come up just to pray together as a church. Uh, As we gather for God's people, we're praying for you, praying for the people that are coming in, uh, praying for what God's gonna do in the midst of our day. So we just pray for 10 minutes from 9.30 to 9.40, and we just gather together uh, and pray. And that is open to any and all if you want to come Uh, and pray for us, or pray with us. Uh, And then February 19th, here's what we're gonna do on the next night of prayer. Um, We are just gonna get together and we are gonna ask God to teach us to pray. Uh, So when we come together on the 19th, we're gonna ask God to teach us to pray. Uh, We're gonna eat some food first. Um, uh, We're gonna hang out, we're gonna see each other, which is always a good time. And then the agenda for that night is to come together and ask God to teach us to pray. God, would you teach us to pray as if you really exist? Would you teach us to pray as if you're really here and present with us? Um, God, would you do that kind of work in our midst? And then as we do that, as we ask him to teach us to pray, then we'll transition to just praying and asking God for the desires of our heart and what's going on. And so those are just two clear opportunities. Obviously, we want to be, like when we do events, we don't just do events to have people show up. We do them because we want to be about what God is about. Uh, And so those are just two clear opportunities uh, for you to come together as a church, for us to come together and to pray. So we pray and we love. And admittedly, I'm just give you a fair warning. I'm going to spend most of the time on these first two you should be probably like looking at your watch like, man, he's going so, like, we got two more points to get to and we should be done by now. Anyways, um, there's only like two of you that were thinking that. Everybody else is so locked in. Um, so we pray and we love. Look at verse eight. Uh, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And I, I do, I just want to brag on Northbrook again, even as we think about this, Northbrook, we are a praying church and obviously I want us to grow in that. Northbrook, you love each other. You, you are a very loving church and it's, uh, it's a joy as one of your pastors to receive love from you. That uh, I mean, it's just been a blessing over the last few years, but also as a pastor, getting to see by God's grace, the way that you love one another is, is humbling, it's encouraging, uh, it's inspiring. And so um, even as you hear things that might be corrective, I pray that you hope, I hope that you're also encouraged uh, that uh, the love that God has uh, grown in our midst. Um, and this verse, obviously, it gives this priority to love. It says, above all, above all love. That's a, that's a really strong statement, above all. That means there's nothing else above it. Like, it is above all, love. And the scriptures always prioritize love as the foundational principle of our faith. It's not even, you know, Peter can say above all because he's echoing Jesus out of uh, Matthew 22, 30, 36 through 40. The great commandment, teacher, 
which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Peter is what the Bible says all over uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we know Paul's eloquent, you know, statements of love in 1 Corinthians 13. They're read at weddings, but they really, they're, they're, they, they should be applied to marriage. But, but Paul is talking about the church with one another. 1 Corinthians 13, just one through three. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and all, have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then uh, in verse 13 in 1 Corinthians, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So basically, if we're going to do anything, if we're going to focus on only one thing as we interact with each other, it is love. Now, here's the deal. Peter's no dummy. And he probably struggled with this as well. So he actually gives us some helps here. He, he encourages us into some ways that we should actually love because he knows it's going to be a struggle. He tells us to keep loving, to love earnestly. And then he explains one of the benefits of loving one another is that love covers a multitude of sin. And Peter's exhortations really help us define what the Bible means about love. It's something that we do, and it is something that we feel. Like love, it says keep loving. It's a, it's a verb. It's not just that love is a noun. Loving is a verb. And so we're supposed to actually do something with our life. We're going to see someone has needs, and out of love, we're actually going to respond to them in a very real way. But then when he says earnestly, this means it, it doesn't, it's not just making uh, ourselves do this selfless act. There's actually genuine feeling, genuine affection, genuine compassion that goes from us to others. Uh, you might do good at acts that display love while staying re relationally and emotionally detached. Or you may have affection for others, but it's hard to follow up and follow through and display that love and deeds towards others. And, and then obviously, who's the perfect model of this? Um, we just look to Jesus, who, who perfectly fulfilled love with, with perfect actions and then deep affection. Um, and so sometimes I think sometimes when we talk about, hey, love's not just this feeling, it's about doing something. Like, that's true, but love is also a feeling. Love does as actually compassion towards us, like we genuinely love this person. And again, we may struggle with that, and sometimes we need to act and pray that the, the feelings will follow. Um, but, it, but we shouldn't ignore that part, um, or else we're just going to be busy and bitter about all the things we're doing. Uh, but it's going to lack uh, affection, and, and to be honest with you, people do notice that. Uh, but I love how honest uh, Paul Miller in his book is about, he writes this book called Love Walked Among Us. It's, it's incredible. Uh, and he talks about how love really is a predicament. He says, what is more difficult to learn than love? How do you love someone when you get no love in return, only withdrawal or ingratitude? How do you love without being trapped or used by the other person? How do you love when you have your own problems? When do you take care of yourself? How do you love with both compassion and honesty? When you're compassionate, people use you. But when you're honest, people get angry. What is love? 
Uh, those, those are all questions we've asked, and, or we should have asked somewhere along the way as we struggle to figure out, okay, what does it look like to actually love the real people uh, in our lives? Again, if we just stick with Peter's commands, we keep loving. So did you stop loving? Start again. Are you struggling to love? Work through that struggle and get back to love. I think even if we thought about love as like our keys, if you drop your keys, you pick them up. If you lose your keys, you're not doing anything else but trying to find your keys. Uh, if your keys break, you're getting those keys repaired. You're getting new keys. That's, that's love. We keep, we, like it stopped, we need to pick it back up. Something's going wrong, we need to figure it out. And it's for the goal of continuing to love. We need to stop looking at things that get in the way of love as the final solution. They are not. They're often real things that need to be tended to in our life and need to be worked through and need to be figured out. They're not easy. They're often complex, but they're not the end. The end for Christians should be love. Um, and then what should this love look like? It's earnest. So we keep loving, but we love earnestly. Again, this means sincere and intense and not like an awkward kind of intense um, but we should be able to love others with a clear conscience. There's no hesitation to the love we're showing a friend or someone in our community group or whoever it is. Um, and I think one of the things that's important as we think about an earnest, sincere, unhindered kind of love is how honest are we able to be in the relationship? Like again, uh, even those questions that Paul Miller asked, you know, compassion versus uh, honesty. Uh, Paul combines both of these with love in Ephesians 4, uh, 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Um, and so sometimes you're thinking, man, this relationship, like even if you think of family relationships, sometimes there's so much baggage there. And you're like, man, there should be so much love here. But you just ask yourself, how honest are you able to be in that relationship? Well, that, that's probably something you can point to as a reason that, that there's something off there. It's not a relationship. That's why, again, the church should be this uh, beautiful picture of a place where we can love one another and there's honesty in relationships and it can be more unhindered and more uh, free-flowing as we care for and talk to and do life with one another. Um, and here, here's the truth that, you know, as we think about being earnest and being honest uh, and that being an aspect of our love, here's a reality that, that we, we hate. Our love is not always going to be received. Um, I mean, if you think about it generally, just culturally in the church, like the church is, should be the most loved, like there's never a way we stop loving, but we're also honest. And in that honesty, there's people in the culture, there is a culture that does not want to receive that love because of things we say that conflict with those cultural values. Now, if we just think about relationships, we have that same reality. There, there's honesty that we share. There's honesty that we say in this relationship, and it comes with every ounce of love that we have, but there's people that are not going to want to receive that love. Um, and, and what happens is when we deny that fact and we don't embrace that reality, but we want to, the relationship to be as good as it possibly can, then we start to be prone to fear and anxiety and manipulation. And all of a sudden that relationship becomes, becomes built on unhealthy realities instead of uh, the love that you can continue to show, whether it's received uh, or not. And here, here, again, here's the reality. This is where most relational tears are shed in our lives uh, in these kinds of relationships. 
uh, where there's this desire to love, there's, there's uh, a, a deep longing to love, uh, but a love that is not received uh, from others. And again, the church should be the exact opposite picture of that. It's a desire to, for honesty, not just to share it, but to receive it uh, as well. And so this is what it looks like to, to love one another earnestly. There's that deep affection that comes with uh, being able to be honest with one another. It's one of the things I talk when we do uh, premarital counseling. I probably have said this before, but what, you know, their marriages are in different places. But a good goal is that you can live honestly with one another. Uh, there, there's many reasons that at times in marriage, it's a struggle to live honestly with one another. Uh, and so whether you're there or not, the goal should be, man, how do we move towards this kind of place? And again, that's a picture of the church. There's relationships where it might be a struggle to live honestly with one another, but it's a goal. How do we live more honestly uh, with one another? Um, and that should be a goal of loving one another earnestly. And Peter gives us another motivational statement. So we're supposed to be motivated to, to love because the end of all things is at hand. But he also says we also should love since love covers a multitude of sin. And, and here's the deal. A, a lot of us in so many ways are just a lot to handle. Like we, we are just a mess. Um, I, I was reading this verse and I was thinking of Ginger I was like, man, I was thinking of Randy who works so close. I was like, y'all should pray for them. Uh, Cause I, I just, yeah, I can be, uh, you know, a lot to handle. Uh, and uh, I have sin. I have sin that I struggle with. I have sin I'm unaware of. I have sin that affects people and impacts people. Um, and here's what I need. I need people's love to cover a multitude of sins. I am in need of that. It's not just a made up need. I'm not just thinking about it generally. Like it's a very real need. Um, and one of the things I'm afraid that sometimes we'll even look at this verse and what first comes to mind is other people's sins that need to be covered. Like, oh, I'm in this relationship and they need this from me. I need to cover this sin. I need to, but guys, we should realize we need this. Uh, we are in desperate need for people's love to cover a multitude of sins that are real, uh, in our life. And this is a, uh, a uh, biblical motif that Peter's picking up on. We, we see there's a few ways that biblically we see sin covered. Uh, and it forgives it. Like this is one way that sin's covered. Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 85 too. You forgive the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. And so when we, it's one of the ways we cover a multitude of sins is we forgive others. We receive forgiveness from others. Obviously this is talking about God's forgiveness. That's how he covers our sin. And we image him and model him when we do that with one another. When we, the church should be a, a, a place where uh, extending and receiving forgiveness is uh, almost ordinary, beautiful and miraculous, but just ordinary and, and consistent. Because uh, we are all in, in really great need of that. And then there's another way that love covers sin is it overlooks sin. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is glory to overlook an offense. We show a healthy maturity when we're able to genuinely overlook an offense. And, and the reality is forgiveness and overlooking are similar yet different. And we do often, it takes wisdom to decide, is this something I can just overlook and move forward with? Or is this something I need to figure out what forgiveness looks like here? Um, and again, that's why one of the reasons we need community is to work through those kinds of realities. They're different, uh, yet 
similar. And then the one other way that love covers a multitude of sin is that acts of love from us towards other actually keep people from sin. Uh, Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So that when we lovingly approach and move towards uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that we are trying to keep from sin, who knows how much sin has been um, undone because of loving actions of one another towards uh, each other. And so this is what love does. Uh, and really the last two exhortations kind of flow from love, to welcome and to serve. Uh, they're just outflows of our love for one another. And so we welcome one another. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, and obviously we know what hospitality is. It's literally just welcoming people uh, into spaces, into our lives, making them feel welcome, meeting needs they have, showing uh, generosity. And because it is so taxing on us at times, it takes energy, it takes money, uh, the reality is we might be prone to grumble. That's why Peter, again, he's wise. He's saying, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter says, do this and don't feel put out. Be thankful for the opportunity to show this kind of love. And then in doing this, again, we are imaging Jesus, Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And one of the, I think, missed opportunities we, we don't think about here when we think about hospitality is Sunday mornings. Like on Sunday morning, when you come to gather with God's people, you have the opportunity, whether you're on a team or not or whatever, that you have the opportunity to actually be hospitable to one another. Um, Will Faber, he, he posted this on uh, the group leader Slack, and it's just a great example of this. So I'm just going to read this from him. He was kind of encouraging the group leaders to, to think about this. He said, about a year ago, we were at church, and Joy and I felt prompted to pray a specific prayer together, asking the Lord to give us the courage and wherewithal. It's a great word, wherewithal. Uh, sorry, I just noticed it. Uh, sorry, asking the Lord to give us the courage and wherewithal to find someone we didn't know and introduce ourselves. As the service concluded, we noticed a young couple sitting in front of us. We were able to catch them before they left. We introduced ourselves and our kids and discovered that they live only a few miles from us. We invited them to our community group, which was meeting on Sunday evenings at the time, and they were willing, able to join us that night. They faithfully attended our group for the last year and have been a huge blessing to our community. Also, they recently became members of our Northbrook family. This is a testament to God's faithfulness. He places this desire on our hearts, we asked, and he provided. Um, and so again, that's just like a, one example. So whether obviously people become members at Northbrook or not is not the, the point. That's a, a great picture of God's uh, faithfulness, but we get an opportunity as people, as guests, as people uh, we've never seen, as people we've seen lots of times to be hospitable to uh, one another on a Sunday morning. And again, love and hospitality, it's just that outward focus. It's not, man, I can be like around lots of, I'm not great around big crowds, Maybe it makes this moment make not a lot of sense, but, um, but I, you know, I just don't always know what, to, I'm like Ricky Bobby, like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I just, um, and uh, so, sorry, it's not maybe a great show to mention in a sermon, but, uh, uh, the, uh, but I just don't know what to do all the time. Uh, and so on Sundays, we get that opportunity. We get that opportunity to not, like, I get to forget about myself. I don't have to think about my discomfort. Uh, I get to look to, to others 
and consider who they are and what they're doing and how they might need uh, to feel welcomed. And so this is what Peter encourages us to. And then finally, uh, to serve. And there's, there's so much here that we're uh, such a, a sweet couple of verses is just to help frame our mind around even uh, the gifts God's given us and how uh, we should use them to serve uh, one another. Um, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so Peter covers this spectrum of gifts here. When he talks, he's not, like even as we think about when Paul gives those list of gifts, we should never really look at those lists as exhaustive. It's not like Paul is saying, oh, here's every gift God has to give, and then you have this one or that one or whatnot. I mean, there are gifts there that we should consider, but Peter's just covering the whole spectrum. He's like, whether it's what you're speaking, whether it's your thought, your mind, and your words, or whether it's your actions, whether it's how you're serving, whether it's you're putting up chairs or helping break down or, uh, or serving uh, kids with your words or serving kids by breaking up and setting down over there. Like whatever you do, the whole spectrum of however you can serve, that's what Peter uh, is covering here by these two uh, different examples. And that whenever we're doing any of those, it is with God's strength and for his glory. That, that when, we're, we're, when, God's, when we're serving, it's God working in us and through us. None of us have a natural tendency to serve one another. Um, and so when that is happening, like a humble, just desiring to use whatever God's given me to actually build up and sanctify and help others, that's his, his work in us. Uh, and then it's also, we also have a tendency to even do that for our own glory that we can do those things for our praise, that people will think good things of us. And we should encourage one another and be mindful of that. But that can't be the motivation or shouldn't be the motivation. It's for God's glory to make his name uh, renowned. This is what Peter is correcting. And again, it's, if, we're, if we're thinking about serving one another out of love, then it's actually other-centered, not us-centered. Um, that is what he is encouraging us towards. Um, and so we should use whatever those gifts that we, God has given us to serve the church, to serve the community, to serve those around you. And sometimes I think we just struggle to like accept like that you're gifted. Like you have gifts that, that the church needs. You like, you think it's humble to like, oh, I'm not really sure. And that's not humble. That's saying God's a liar. Like God's gifted you in particular ways. And you may need to discover that. You may need to figure that out, but you should do that uh, because God has gifted you. Uh, he has made you, um, and he's given you unique experiences, uh, unique talents, unique spiritual gifts to bless up and build the body up as we grow up into the maturity of Christ. Uh, and, and we need each other uh, in that way. So just accept that you are gifted. Um, and again, don't squander your gifts. Don't like, man, I have this gift of serving in this way, but I want to serve in that way. God's gifted you. Uh, and he, he, here's what Peter says. He's gifted us in varying degrees. Like some people have all kinds of gifts and they're really good at all of those things. And, and sometimes we like to say, well, they're probably bad at this or something. Like, well, whatever, just celebrate. God's gifted them in all these different ways and praise God for that. I, I heard, oh, man, I should, okay, well, I started. But uh, the, uh, I was, it was my, this is not bad. It's not like the Ricky Bobby thing. But uh, 
that was, I heard moms talking one time about uh, this mom that was blogging and had all kinds of kids and doing all kinds of things and making homemade butter and uh, like genuinely uh, doing all, and they were like, well, she just, like, who knows? maybe she's a gift, maybe she's doing all this great. Like, we don't have to cut her down just because, you know, she, we like feel bad about all these things. Like, you don't need to feel bad that you can't make homemade butter, but you can celebrate that God's gifted her in this particular way. And we can celebrate one another's giftings. We don't have to covet them. Uh, man, I've, I've, give, I've been given uh, one, and they've been given three talents. Uh, praise God that there's anything uh, to go around, um, and we can celebrate one another uh, in these ways. And, not, and then even sometimes we feel more gifted, and like other people have opportunity. Man, God's sovereign over those things. There's many of you that probably get up here and preach better than I'm preaching right now. For whatever reason, God has called me to this opportunity at this time in this way. Um, and so we don't even have to look and compare in that way. Again, what, that, that's starting to turn inward and think about us as opposed to using whatever gift God's given us to serve and care for uh, and bless others. This is how we should be using the gifts that God has given us. And, and man, there is a countless number of people that, uh, by God's grace, use their gifts for the sake of Northbrook Church. I mean, again, as we think about prayer, as we think about love, as we think about serve, as we think about welcoming one another, think about how hospitable so many uh, of you are actually... I decided not to use actual examples. When we, I, as staff, I, I uh, started to thread and like, hey, any members that you think you know stand out as you think about any of these things? And there was just long list in all of these areas of ways that Northbrook prays and loves and welcomes one another um, and uh, serves. And so again, praise God that he's moved in our heart and mind uh, in these ways. And I want to encourage you to think about, man, how's God gifted me? And, and how can I use that uh, to serve uh, my family, to serve those around me, to serve the church? Uh, if, if the, there's so many different opportunities uh, for you to serve in the church. And so we would love uh, to talk to you about any of those, but this is how uh, we should use uh, our gifts. Um, and so let me just ask, uh, what does the, the desire for friendship look like in your life? The desire to, to fill that relational ache. E even as you were to think about all these gifts of prayer, of love, of welcoming one another, of serving one another, how do you think about that actually not just serving in some general way or, or using those things to do whatever, but like in actual relationships? Do, do, do you have a desire to you do those things and actually receive those things, to be prayed for, to be loved, to be welcomed, uh, to, to be served? I, again, sometimes even as we think about serving and all the different gifts, we always want to be the one offering the gift and not the one receiving the gift. Uh, even Jesus received gifts. Um, we we, we want to be the one giving money, not asking for money. Um, and, and as a church, we, we need to learn what it looks like for us to receive these things and do these things, especially if we're going to do them in relationship. If you're always the one doing and being, and, and you know, then it's, it's going to be tiring for people. Um, uh, but you need to give and receive. What does this look like in the life of your relationships? And I'm close just as thinking about Jesus in these ways. As we wait for our king, he calls us to pray, love, welcome, and serve. But we can rest in that he is tending to all of us in these very ways. Like we, again, we only love because he first loved us. We can only do any of these things 
because he does these things for us. Jesus is praying for us along with the spirit who interprets our prayers with deep groans to the father. Jesus is love. He proved this through his life, death, and resurrection. And then he ascended into heaven and to reign over all creation. So right now in his sovereign reign and rule, he is loving us perfectly. Even now, we look back to his life, death, and resurrection. We look forward to his return and we see his love. But even now, even though at times there's confusion and whatnot, but the reality is he is loving you and me perfectly in this very moment. He is. And he sent the spirit to remind us of his love. And in this love, he welcomes us. Jesus welcomes us, any one of us. No matter where you've been or what you have done, there's those that feel too bad and could never be accepted. Or maybe you feel too good and you feel like you don't need to be accepted. He welcomes all to come. To place their faith in him and him alone to confess our rebellion and thinking we could run from him or to confess our good deeds that we thought would earn our way to him. He welcomes all. And if that wasn't enough, the only good king came not to serve, uh, not to be served, but to serve. Like Jesus came to serve us. He has no need. He has no needs that we could give him anything. Uh, he came to look to our needs and to serve us. This is, this is the king that's returning. This is the king that we have. Um, the king that holds the stars in his hands, mountains crumble at his word, the dead are raised when he calls their name. This king came to serve you and me. When you come to him and allow him to serve you, pray for you, pray for the th then you and me, we start to pray for the things he loves. We start to love the things he loves. We start to welcome people at our table the way he has welcomed us. And we use any of the gifts and resources that he has given us to serve and bless others. And so may we as a church just continue to grow in this as we joyfully confess to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, how humbling it is that you would serve me. I am not worthy of anything and you are worthy of everything. Yet you look to me, you, you raise my head, you dignify me, you save me, you redeem me. You, you have covered the multitude of sins I have committed and I ever will commit. You've served me from first to last. There's nothing, there's no other way I need to be served because you've done it all. And Lord Jesus, even as I, I think about how you have served me, such a significant way you have done that is through your people. Such a significant way you, you serve us as a church is, is through each other. And I just confess, I often neglect that often act as if I don't have need or as if you're enough and forget that with you comes the beauty and the mess of your church. And so Spirit, would you just help us? Would you help us think about this and, and not just a clean, like, oh, this is exactly how we're supposed to do this kind of way, but in the, the grittiness that is true of our life 
and the awkwardness that is true of relationships and the baggage that's so present in so many of our relationships. Would you actually give us wisdom and what it looks like to, to have this ache for deep, real, honest, loving relationships, to move towards that, to move towards one another, all to the glory of your beautiful name. Do that in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.